Good evening, and welcome back to our Wednesday night Bible study right here at Shawnee Baptist Church. And I'm so glad uh, you could take the time to join us by way of video this evening, whether you're watching uh, on YouTube or Facebook or on our website. Uh, thank you uh, for joining, and we pray uh, that this evening's message would be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Uh, if you are on the Facebook platform, if you take time just to comment uh, who is there watching, and I trust uh, maybe even if you have children, they've already watched uh, Brother Adam's uh, Adventure Kids uh, video uh, this afternoon, this evening as well. I pray that was a blessing to you, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has in store for us this evening. Uh, I hope you've had a wonderful week. I hope things are going well for you, that you're staying healthy. Uh, that your Bible time and your prayer time has been special uh, these last couple days. And uh, we're going to be back in, we're in the book of James, and today we finish something, not the series, but we do finish James chapter number one. And uh, looking forward to concluding this chapter, and then we'll start back into chapter two next Wednesday. But take your Bibles James chapter number one, James chapter number one, and uh, we're going to jump into our thought here this evening. Let's have a word of prayer together. I'm going to review last week's lesson and then jump into our new material. But let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege this evening we have to come uh, to your word. And though we can't assemble in person uh, right now, we're so grateful that we can assemble uh, around our devices, and we can uh, participate, and we can uh, watch, and we can have our Bibles open, and we can be following along. And most importantly, that your spirit is not limited to a building, but your spirit uh, is there with each one of us. Your spirit is there guiding us into truth. And we do pray this evening uh, that your spirit, not me, would be our guide and teacher. I pray that he would have control of uh, my mind and my tongue uh, this evening, and I pray that he would have control of our mind and our hearts this evening as well as we listen, as we hear, but as we apply uh, your word to us today. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in your son Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. James, uh, if we remind ourselves what we talked about last week, is giving us an illustration of what he just taught. He just taught about you and I not deceiving ourselves, but being uh, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And there in verse number 26, he says this, if any man among you seem to be religious, what an awful place to find yourself in thinking that you are uh, more spiritual than you are, thinking that you possess spiritual maturity, uh, but yet uh, still being, uh, a, as a child, identifying uh, yourself as being okay in your faith and not being okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18 says this, let no man deceive himself. It's one thing to have the people around you deceived. That's hypocrisy. It's another thing to deceive your own self, to trick yourself into believing that you're right with God, but you're really not. Uh, the Pharisees, that's exactly what Jesus addressed in them. They appeared uh, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, 
They were full of dead men's bones. They were white-walled sepulchers. And Jesus constantly went after them, uh, hoping to get a hold of their mindset uh, to, to let them know that though everything on the outside was right, and though they thought they were righteous, it was a self-righteous. Though they thought they were spiritually mature, they didn't even know Christ. They didn't even know who was standing there in front of them. Now, back to our verse. He says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. What is the example? James addresses, by way of example, of being uh, just a hearer and not a doer, this matter of the tongue. Someone with little or no control of what comes out of their mouth. And he says, if any man seem to be religious but cannot control the words coming out of his mouth, he's deceived himself. If any man thinks himself to be spiritual but cannot but not can, cannot control uh, how he acts or reacts to his children or uh, his spouse, he is deceiving himself. If a man can't control uh, his anger with those around him, he's deceiving himself. If a man uh, can't learn to bite his tongue when sometimes our tongue uh, needs to be bit, uh, that man's religion is vain. He's deceiving himself. Uh, if a man says he is spiritual and thinks himself to be spiritual, but cannot hold back his words or cannot use graceful speech, this man is deceiving himself. And though James addresses our speech here, that was not his primary purpose. In chapter three, he'll take a dozen or so verses and specifically address this matter of the tongue. This was an illustration for us. So what was James teaching? Well, the Jews, the Christian Jews specifically, had heard many things about their speech. Uh, The Old Testament taught about the speech. The Jews would have known the book of Psalms and they would have known the book of Proverbs. There in Psalms, and not read all the verses I read last week, but there in chapter 34, verse number 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Guard what comes out of your mouth. Uh, David said in Psalm 141 in his prayer, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Lord, help me not to say anything that would not be pleasing to you. That wouldn't be gracious. That wouldn't be appropriate. There in the book of Proverbs, one one verse I'll point out, uh, chapter 15, verse number two, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The Old Testament, they had heard it address the tongue. Jesus addressed the tongue. There in Matthew chapter 12, he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure uh, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Think about that, church. God says we are going to give an account for every idle word. And any useless word, useless speech for no reason, we're going to give an account for those words before the Lord. The Jews, the Jewish Christians heard that. Uh, they would have been familiar with other religious leaders teaching, uh, the, the Christian uh, leaders teaching like Paul uh, and Peter and John. Uh, they might have heard what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. 
uh, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it might may, that it might minister grace unto the hearers. Maybe they read what Paul wrote to the church uh, at Colossae, chapter four, verse number six, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Maybe the Jews would have read uh, what Peter wrote to the Jewish Christians in 1 Peter chapter three, verse number 10, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Now we read all of those just to illustrate what the Jewish Christians had heard. They had heard the Old Testament talk about their speech. They had heard Jesus talk about their speech. They had heard uh, Peter and Paul uh, talk about their speech. And what were they doing with what they heard? Were they practicing what they heard preached? Were they practicing what they had heard recorded uh, in Scripture? His primary motive is to say that if you don't practice what you've already heard through Old Testament teachings and Christ's teachings and uh, Christian leaders' teachings, then you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Now look with me what he goes on to say, because it gets worse. Not only are you deceiving yourself, but he says this, this man's religion is vain. If a man is a hearer of God's word, but does not do the word of God, his religion, James says, is vain. The Holy Spirit of God says our religion is vain if we do not put into practice what God's word teaches us, what we hear from the word of God. We summed it up this way last week. My religion is useless. If it doesn't translate into the way I live and the way I treat others. My religion is useless, it's worthless, it's vain if it does not translate into the way I treat others and the way I live my life. Now, that was verse 26. We come to verse number 27, the last verse in this incredible chapter. Are you loving the book of James? I, I, I really, really enjoyed the book before, but this is quickly becoming uh, one of my favorite books. Look there with me now at verse number 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion. And that's the title of our message tonight, religion. It's a sticky word. And many times it's misinterpreted. Many times it's dangerous. I can't tell you how many times out knocking doors or meeting people at parks or out and about, I've talked to people about the gospel and Jesus, and they'll say something along these lines. I'm not religious, or I really don't care for religion in general. Or maybe they'll say this, I'm going to heaven because I'm very religious. The Bible distinguishes two different types of religion. There's true religion, and then there's idolatry. True religion is the lifestyle of a child of God as he walks in faithful obedience 
and dependence on the Holy Spirit in response to for the forgiveness and the new life that he has in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't it a wonderful thing that you and I have a new life in Christ? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And as the Holy Spirit works in our life, it's a process called sanctification, we become more like uh, Jesus Christ. We're not perfect like Christ is, but, but we're, coming, we're coming more like him. That, what that looks like, uh, my actions, my obedience, the things I do out of my relationship with Christ, we would call that true religion. Then there's idolatry. Now, idolatry is any other form of what we would call worship or religion. Uh, it's a worship of anyone or anything other than the God of the Bible. For example, any non-Christian religion, uh, atheism, humanism, self-worship, materialism, the worship of pleasure uh, and possessions, hypocrisy is a form of idolatry, external conformity to Christian behavior uh, or standards by an individual who professes to be a Christian but is actually a deceiver. Just to do Christian things uh, would still be considered to be not true worship. It would be idolatry. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's what separates us from the other so-called religions. It's a relationship that's initiated, established, and maintained by God himself. Matter of fact, independent of our behavior and merit as a Christian, we are saved by grace. Isn't that a wonderful thought? It's not of works lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace, kept by grace. One day we'll be glorified eternally all because of God's grace. However, God's gracious work in our lives produces true religion. Let me say that again. God's grace in our lives produces true religion. As God's grace works, it performs a transformed mind and transformed actions. So religion, if we were to boil it down, we could say it's how we, the true religion is how we practice our outward and inward observance of God's commands. Now, for those listening who, who might not completely understand this, Religion does not save. If you think this evening that you're going to heaven based on your religion, based on your outward conformity to God's commands, based on outward actions to what scripture teaches, if you think that's the reason that you're going to inherit eternal life, I can't say it any more bluntly than this, you're deceived. You're wrong. A true, we don't get to heaven based on our religion. We get to heaven based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad in my own life 
there in the front of my first grade classroom, Nancy McConnell took the time to share with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that day as a young man, I put my trust in Christ and Christ alone. He promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And though I failed him, he will never fail me. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I'm not going to heaven based on my religion. Though the person who is saved will, out of God's grace and God's whole, the Holy Spirit's working in their life, do things that we would call true religion. James brings this word religion into the context of our spiritual maturity. If we are hearing God's word and we're obeying God's word, our lifestyle is going to change. If we're hearing and putting into practice what the word of God teaches, there's some things about us that are going to be transformed in the image of God's son. Our religion and how we practice and observe God's commands as we gain in spiritual maturity is going to be pure. You can't always judge someone based on their religion. You can't always judge someone who is religious as being spiritually mature. Verse 26 talked about that. People deceive themselves. But someone who is spiritually mature will practice true religion. The person striving for spiritual maturity is going to see God change some things in their life. Now, this evening, you might be in, in so many different places of that journey. Maybe you're a brand new Christian. I am so glad you're saved tonight. And, and though we're going to talk about pure religion, you might listen to uh, the Bible study this evening and think, oh my word, Pastor Frost, I'm a mess. I'm nowhere close. That's okay. Be patient. Be patient because God is working in your life. And I love it. Some of us tonight, maybe you're like me. We've been Christians for a long time. The Holy Spirit of God has been working in our heart and life for a very, very long time, decades. And maybe tonight as we think about pure religion, shame on me if I'm not working towards what what James 1 verse number 27 talks about. Shame on me if this is not being seen in my life because God wants to do this work in my life. And if I have not reached spiritual maturity yet, if I'm not putting into practice what this verse teaches, James is going to talk more about these works later. He says in chapter 2 verse number 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. He says, if you, he'll go on. Yeah, a man may say that thou hast faith and I have works. He says, show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? If you profess to be a Christian, and works have not followed, the Bible teaches that your faith is dead. 
Maybe you don't have the faith in Jesus Christ that you thought you did. Maybe you're professing him, but he doesn't know you because works follow faith. Now we'll study that later, but look here with me at verse number 26. Makes, uh, in James verse number 26, James 1, he says, uh, this man's religion is vain, it's worthless, it's little or no value. And that brings us to the question then, what does religion that possesses worth or value look like? What embodies a doer and not just a hearer of the word of God? What sort of religion pleases God? What does pure, what does true religion look like? How is it manifested in our life? Look at our text verse. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James says, if you want a snapshot of true religion, here it is. Exercise charity to those in need and keep yourself pure. Three points this evening about true religion. Here we go. Three points. Let's dig in. Number one, the first about pure religion is charity to those in need. Charity to those in need. Notice what he says, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. The word visit means more than just to go and see them. The Greek word there means to relieve them, to see and relieve, to see and and help them. Pure religion is caring for those who can't otherwise care for themselves. Caring for someone who, who can't repay. Uh, caring for those uh, and, and those others uh, who other people are not thinking about. You see, this religion is more than just giving to someone in need. It possesses a love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 3, talks about giving to somebody without charity. It says this, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Generosity, just cutting a check, and it just being out of uh, have to, just straight good humanity, uh, is, is not enough. It has to possess love. You see, it's more than just benevolence. It's charity. Pure religion is charity or it's love in action. First John chapter three, verse 16 through 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso, listen to this, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's one thing to talk about loving others. Oh, we just love everybody. It's one thing to say we care 
about people. But pure religion is when we go and visit. There's an action. And when we go and visit and we try to meet needs uh, to those who can't repay us, to uh, those who don't have somebody else uh, helping them meet that need, we are expressing true religion. True religion is charity to those in need. I'm so glad I go to a church with people who practice this. They visit people. They care about people. I think of our buses uh, running every week. I think about our Sunday school classes and the phone calls that are being made and the letters that are being uh, written and the needs that are the needs that are being met by people. Our missions work. What is that? Our missions work if done out of love. It's charity. It's it's it, pure religion. It's exactly what James is talking about here in this passage. First of all, pure religion is charity to those in need. Second of all, pure religion is purity and holiness. Purity and holiness. He says here, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Separated not from people, but from the world and its philosophies. It's not pulling ourselves completely out of seeing anybody uh, that's worldly. We still have to live in this world. But pure religion is not being of this world. Separated from this world and its sin, separated from this world and its philosophies, separated from this world and its lifestyle, separated from this world and its vices. Notice what James says, unspotted from the world a sense of purity and holiness. Now, I understand we're not going to be perfect, but we ought to strive to live a pure life. We ought to strive to live a holy life before our God. James is by far not the only word to the Christian that addresses this thought. Ephesians chapter one, verse number four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We're not living a holy life just for the people around us. Matter of fact, if that's our only motive is to oppress somebody else, I, I believe we're living holy for the wrong reason. It says right here, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Philippians chapter one, verse number 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Paul says that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Paul says, I'm praying that you would approve excellent things and that you would live a life without offense. There in Philippians chapter two, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. First John, John writes in chapter two, 15 and 16, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. James says here, pure religion keeps itself spotless from the world. If you think with me this evening, it is becoming harder and harder to tell the difference between a Christian and the world. Between somebody who's saved and somebody who's unsaved. 
the distinctions are fading. The differences are becoming murky. You know, the Christian's new music sounds a lot like the world's music. The Christian's dress looks a lot like the world's dress. The Christian's mentality sounds a lot like the world's mentality. The the Christian's attitude uh, seems to be much of what the world's attitude is. The Christian's entertainment, it mimics the world's entertainment. The Christian's actions seem to differ very little from the world's actions. We're to be lights in this world. We're to be the salt of the earth. How will the world see the Lord if it doesn't see any distinction, if it doesn't see any difference in us? And so therefore, James addresses this matter of pure religion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, it is our distinct living, our distinct attitude, our distinct love, our distinct joy, uh, our distinct faith that separates us, that brings a distinction between us and the world that the world ought to see. Others around us should see the Christ in Christian. They should see the difference in our spiritual maturity. They should see the difference in our religion before our heavenly father. Pure religion is spotless. Spotless in attitude, spotless in action, spotless in motive, spotless in thoughts, spotless in philosophy. Somewhere in Christianity, uh, this idea floated around that we can maintain a friendship with the world while still following Christ. That we can be chummy with the things of the world and yet still be a right disciple of Jesus. That we can walk a line with one foot in the world and one foot in the book. That we can straddle the fence of loving God and loving the things of the world. Church, let me help you out tonight. Pure religion doesn't work that way. Pure religion is unspotted of the world. Later in this epistle, James is going to address this thought even more pointed. In James chapter 4, verse number 4, he says this. This is strong terminology, but the Holy Spirit uh, is speaking through James here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He was talking, remember who he's writing to? He's writing to Jewish Christians. The Holy Spirit's talking to us as the church. And he says, if you are out there and you love the world and you think you can love God at the same time, this is what James says were adulterers and adulteresses. What strong terminology. But it's what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us about pure religion tonight. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, maybe there's somebody out there that says, 
here we go again, purity and holiness, a list of rules and more rules and more rules, just more things that we have to uh, live by, this legalistic mentality. Let me say this evening. I am not talking about a list of rules to impress others. Let's make that clear. I'm not talking about a religion that I practice uh, for you to be pleased with the way I live. I'm talking about having convictions and actions lived out of a life and a desire to please and to glorify Christ. Those are two completely separate things. Perfect? No. Unfortunately, I'm not, and you're not, and we never will be. But striving to not let this world impact us while we as Christians try to be the light to the world around us. As we as Christians try to practice pure religion, try to be spotless uh, to the world around us, try to glorify Christ with our religion so others see the Christ in us. Pure religion. Charity to those in need, purity and holiness. And quickly, let me close with this. I want you to notice number three, the personal responsibility. Verse number 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Earlier I said, I'm so glad that I get to go to a church that practices charity, that loves people, that is striving to meet people's needs and meet uh, people's spiritual needs and allow Christ to work uh, through us to be a blessing to our community. And we're not perfect. We've got a ways to go, church. But I'm so glad I go to a church that's trying. But it's not good enough that my church shows charity if I personally don't show charity. It's not pure religion just going to a church that visits the fatherless and the widows. It's pure religion if I visit the fatherless and the widows, if I'm the one who shows charity to those in need. Such is the case. I can't make you unspotted from the world. You can't make me uh, unspotted from the world. It's a personal responsibility. Look what he says there. And to keep himself unspotted from the world to keep himself. I pray the Lord would continue to allow me to preach and the Holy Spirit would guide me uh, to continue to pull out the word of God where you and I would become more like Jesus Christ, that you and I would be convicted about the things of God, that you and I would be doers of the word and not hearers only, but I can't make you a doer of the word of God and you can't make me a doer of the word of God, and we can't make our children doers of the word of God. There's a personal responsibility in all this. Keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, we have finished chapter one. The whole thought in the spiritual maturity, not deceiving ourselves and therefore having a religion that's vain because we just heard and we didn't do because we listened to the preaching we read the word of God but we didn't put anything to practice we deceived ourselves and our religion is vain but 
having pure religion. A religion that hears what God has to say and then strives to put it into practice in their life. Why? Not to please those around us, but to glorify God. It's that motive that makes it pure religion. I pray that when others see us, that they would see a church that's practicing pure religion. Pure religion. And in doing so, may it glorify Christ. May they be pointed to the Lord through our practice of the word of God. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege this evening we have to open up your word. And I do pray it was a help and a blessing to us. Um, it's, it's, so, it's so true. And it's what a great reminder for me personally uh, that there's an observance to Christianity uh, that there's a, there's a right way to practice religion and there's a wrong way to practice religion. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit helped, helped set our minds straight in this particular matter that you would see, because that's who it's for. We're living for an audience of one, that you would see a pure religion in our life, that our religion would not be vain. But it would mean something to you, that it would be a sweet smelling sacrifice to you, our heavenly father. And we'll thank you and praise you for in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask these things, amen. Thank you so much for joining me this evening in this Bible study. I pray the Holy Spirit will continue to use it to be an encouragement and a blessing and a strength to you uh, in this time. Sure do miss worshiping in person, uh, but so glad that we could jump in uh, tonight together. Here's a couple questions just to create some dialogue uh, there uh, with you and your family and those gathering uh, together. Um, here's, here's the first one. What can you do this week to practice charity? What can you do this week to practice uh, charity? Who can, who can you find and in what way can you be a blessing uh, to them and practice what James calls here, the Holy Spirit calls pure religion? Here's another one. What are some areas where distinctions as Christians are fading? What are some areas? I know that's a, that's a tough, it's, it's a deep thing maybe, but what are some areas where distinctions uh, in Christianity are fading? And then why is it so important for us to practice pure religion? Why is it so important for us to practice pure religion? Uh, take some time, think about those questions. We have finished James chapter one, uh, maybe below would you comment, what was your favorite verse in James 1? What was your favorite verse in James 1? And if you want to put a Y in there, that's even, that's even awesome. I would love uh, to read through those. Um, if you have a special prayer request tonight, feel free to comment that in the section below as well. Uh, as many of us would love to take time to pray for you. And then I wanted to announce another just unique special opportunity we're trying to find ways um, to reach out uh, into our community. I want to say thank you to uh, Brother Mike and the team of people that delivered uh, donuts and coffees uh, to five or six different hospitals and med medical facilities at the beginning of this week. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to love our community and to share 
God's love and the love of our church with them. Um, just a unique opportunity, a unique thought. In my prayer time this morning, the Holy Spirit laid this on my heart. And uh, as I told my wife, she reminded me that she said this about a week and a half ago to me as well. Shame on me for forgetting about it. <laughs> it was awesome then. I should have done it then. Uh, but this weekend, we would like uh, just to throw something out there on social media that mentions the difficult time and asking people if they have anything that we can pray for them about. And if they do, if they're wanting somebody to pray with them to call into the church, this gives us an awesome opportunity for them to call in for us to have a word of prayer with them and maybe even share the gospel. And that's what I'm praying. Now, I don't know who's going to call. I don't know how many people will call. I don't know if anybody will be call. Anybody will call. But how neat would it be is if for two days, Saturday and Sunday, uh, we ran some advertisements saying just that. Uh, if you have a need and you'd love for somebody to pray with you, we're here. Pick up your phone. Uh, we'd love to answer, have a word of prayer over the phone with you, and then maybe even get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, if you're interested in that, maybe you're interested in coming down to the church, uh, we'll practice social distancing. We have uh, five or six different phones in different rooms. We can clean them uh, as people shift out. But if you'd like to come down and maybe sit for an hour or even a couple hours, and be there to answer the phone if somebody calls. Uh, would you contact Elise Newton? She's going to coordinate all of that uh, along with our staff. And uh, there'll be an email that goes out about that that you can also probably respond to. Uh, but if you'll contact the church office or if you have uh, Miss Elise Newton's cell phone number, you can contact her and she's going to work through that time. And how awesome it would be if we could take time to pray with uh, just anybody who was who, who wanted to, and, and I pray the Lord would give us dozens of people that we could pray with, and then, boy, wouldn't it be awesome and exciting if we could present the gospel uh, to dozens of people uh, this Saturday and Sunday through that. So if that interests you, uh, would you jump on that, and that should be a blessing. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be your pastor. My wife and I, my family, we love you. Uh, we so miss you. Can't wait so we can meet together in person. Uh, but we're praying for you. And I do pray sincerely that God would bless the rest of your week. Feel free to comment below uh, with those things that we've talked about tonight. And to have a wonderful evening. God bless you.